Um, so yeah, uh, welcome back um, to uh, Brothers in Rhythm uh, podcast episode two. Um, initially, when I set out to do what we did in episode one, I, <laughs> I planned to get further, um, but it's uh, there's a lot that needs to be said, a lot of ground uh, that needs to be gone over. So uh, we decided to take a breather. As your pause. wife and manager. Oh, the, and yeah, the production spir- team was spiritual the, the production team came <laughs> in and thought it'd be the best thing. So uh, yeah, it's always good to take a breather. It is. Yeah, and Wim Hof is one of the uh, one of the people that's been helping you breathe through all of this, isn't he? Mate, amazing. What would you have done without Wim Hof? And I didn't even know his story either when I started doing his breathing sessions. I actually came across them through <laughs> randomly the Goop Lab with what's her name? Oh yeah, Gwyneth with Gwyneth Paltrow. Yeah. <laughs> And uh, that was my first ever sighting of the man. And I was just like, I just thought he was a hero straight away. I was like, who is this guy? The Iceman is a hero. The Iceman Wim Hof. Do check him out if you haven't. Breathe in. Breathe in. And let it go. And let it go. See, that's the bass. That's that's, how you have to do it. Um, With resonance. Yeah. And meaning. All the love, all the power. And whim if you're watching hey you never know big thank you <laughs> thank you big thanks to whim for looking after my husband because yeah. uh yeah he's uh been a, an, one of your many guides and i know in um future podcasts you're going to be talking more about different healing things and the way healing gurus yes yeah, spiritual guides coped. and gurus and people that can help you through even if you don't meet them in person through their through their knowledge and their experience mm. and, uh, and what they've gone through yeah. Um, and why they're doing what they're doing, it's with real meaning. And the power of that is a powerful thing that can help people on their healing journey. So, yeah, we will talk about all of those things more. Um, I've got Andy Nathan lined up for a really good uh, podcast where we're going to be talking about some of those things. So mm. That would be great. But we are here on episode two and we are still talking about... What happened to Tim? My brother. Your brother. brother. Ross's brother. And, and many, um, many... Brother's brother. Many a brother's brother. And if any of you are out there watching, you know, you can pick up the phone and get in touch. How many foster brothers did you have? <laughs> 20 well, odd. 20 odd, yeah. <laughs> and, and I love them all. And sisters. And love them all dearly. And, and I love them all dearly as brothers and sisters. I know, you know you we, do. we didn't welcome people into our home and pretend to be a family. We were a family. Yeah, I know. And I know, I know, coming together with the brothers again at some point is going to be a really important thing. And it has to happen. It will. And, uh, I have yeah. faith in that. Well, we've got a date to talk about later, haven't we? But yeah. first, we're going to talk about what happened when when Tim um, was informally sectioned, and he went to a hospital in uh, Worthing. We're in, Under the Sussex Partnership Trust. In the Sussex Partnership Trust. Um, it's a hospital called Meadowfield. Um, I know a lot of people in this area will have had experiences with the hospital. And at the um, time when um, when uh, when Tim was unwell and I wanted him to go to hospital, I didn't want him to go necessarily to a psychiatric hospital. I just wanted to take him to the hospital, to A&E, just to have him checked over. Nobody like, wants with, their with, loved one to with, go with, to with, a psychiatric With me, with him, not what happened. Um and I didn't, I, and that wasn't because I knew about these places and knew what they were. I no, didn't. I didn't. I had no idea. If I did, I does the last. I would have kept them away. <clears throat> and you know, and this is not about um, blame or anything to no, 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 Meadowfield no. or anything. And we, and we're sure, you know, there's lots of people trying to do, trying to go, do good things. But as we said earlier, the care system is broken. And there's no two ways about that. And in a lot of the times when people are going in, they're not getting the care. No, no, no. In this uh, experience of what happened, they completely missed the mark of what the root cause of. And being his brother, that knows him better than anybody else. The only person that could have told him. Yeah. And you don't say that lightly. I don't say that lightly either. You know, it's, you know um, um, we spoke in episode one about how how close me and my brother were and uh, obviously losing our father when I was 17 he was 27 he became um, my father figure uh, my hero my superhero you raved together you had adventures together you had something else you know chat girls together we didn't didn't talk about that (laughs) we're not together in in the run up to into him actually going into hospital one of the first things he asked me to do to be involved with his care with his talking to his therapist was to write him a letter Um, and and talk about how I felt he may have changed over in the last few years. 
and uh, that letter was just, was called entitled "My Superhero," and he still is. Always, <laughs> always, always. Yeah, always, always, always. So, so Tim made the decision himself to to go in to informally. Go in. Yeah, so he wasn't actually sectioned. Yeah, um, and um, he needed a break. He needed a break from his situation and his environment. And um, <clears throat> due to fear, he he didn't want the family talking to the doctors. Really, there was a bit of that going on, and we didn't know any information. We were kept in the dark. Um, and uh, this, what I'm going to read out next, actually, you know, he'd been in a few days, um, and I didn't get this until just before the inquest this year. This uh, bit of writing. Um, um, but this was the place he was in after being admitted. I think it'd be good to read this out. He's sitting in the garden at Meadowfield. He's in the garden, yeah. And uh, and this my, these are my brother's words. You can do it. It's a beautiful hour. You don't have to do it, though. I want to. <laughs> <coughs> Life can be hard. <sighs> Life can be hard work. Sorry. But it can be full of memories and lots of laughter. The friendships that can be cemented are eternal. There is something special about sharing a journey with strangers, thrown together in the middle of total chaos. That reminds me of being in the heart of the <laughs> ah, We can be united as one. We can talk and we can listen. Together, we can complete our own journeys. As one, we are an unstoppable force. Tim, 9th of May, 2020. It's a lovely letter. So right. Eternal. As I say, I wasn't given this until this year. Um, at this point, my brother had been taken away to the hospital and I was being... Uh, Prevented from communicating with him. Um, The next day, um, a family member made a call to Meadowfield and uh, asked them to uh, ask Tim uh, for his consent for them to speak with them. Which he gave. It's recorded on his uh, his notes, which was included in the serious incident report at his inquest. And uh, <clears throat> he said, "Yeah, okay." And uh, the hospital person went back and spoke to this family member, and they proceeded to really go in uh, on him, um, saying that uh, a number of things were really concerning them. <laughs> Um, and some very really not nice things about someone who was very unwell just gone into hospital and it's recorded that Tim asked the uh, member of staff what had been said uh, they shared the information with him and one of the things that they said was that they were denying him having access to money and he asks them why are my family stopping me have any money uh, this is the day after the letter that I just the note that I just read you out <clears throat> um, <clears throat> so calls went on you know Tim was still had his phone didn't he Tim had his phone I was on I was on the phone to my mother at this point when this call was made by the family member I was speaking to my mother you had no idea at the, at the time I had, had I had no idea this call was going on I didn't find this out until the inquest this year about this call and who had made it <clears throat> and what they'd said had really upset him and what he'd been made to believe was completely untrue and what he did next was completely out of character um, reading back through my text messages in my phone. It's nothing but love. <clears throat> nothing but love. Uh, my last message to him 
that I'd taken his dog Charlie for a walk. I loved him very much, and I just hoped that he'd get well soon. <clears throat> On the 11th of May, in between 2am in the morning and 7am in the morning, I received the following text messages. And I read this out just so you can feel the full impact of the truth of this, because this is not my brother. Give mum £199 tomorrow, or I will send someone round to collect, and you have one chance, or you and your scumbag wife will pay. And I mean it, cunt. And then fuck off out of my life. <laughs> and then, uh... A couple of hours later, in the middle of the night, this is TikTok, TikTok cunt. Here's Johnny, cunts. A couple of hours later, time's ticking, cunt. £100 by the end of the day. Give mum money, or I will send someone around to collect it by Wednesday. TikTok. I was in <coughs> so much fear. I woke up to... um. Uh, I uh, I can't quite explain how much uh, fear and how scared Mike was for his brother and for us all right then. Um, it was so unnatural and obviously I know we, we at this point thought he was being looked after. You know, he's in hospital. I thought he was going to be getting looked after and getting care. Um, so it was a, a huge, huge, huge shock, you know. A huge shock and and couldn't understand what was going on. Um, so I woke up and uh, I called the hospital. And it was very strange because she just said, if you're scared, then just phone the police and put the phone down. And now... I've never been in this kind of situation. You've never been in this kind of situation. And Nothing we were basically like doing as we were told. And we have really been often, you know, it was not often, all the time, every every step of the way. We over. didn't know what was the right procedure, what was the right thing to do. Uh, no. They um, weren't helping us. They weren't helping us. And we were scared. Um, we'd been shut out from the family since being, a, since being a, since shut the out on the sixth of May. Door shut. Mm. So we weren't getting any information. We didn't know what was going on. Um, so we did call the police. Um, not because we wanted to get Tim into trouble for any reason, but we were told to do that. Um, and and we were really really concerned that he had got himself involved with somebody. Um, that something was going on because everything was it just was very, unnatural. And it wasn't just, you know, that Tim was, oh, I've suddenly gone crazy because, you know, this crazy word and everything gets bounded around. Um, what was happening felt crazy. We knew it wasn't natural. Yeah. And we knew that this was the opposite of everything that you knew about your brother and that I'd known about your brother yeah. since I married you. Um, and it the level of fear... Um, for everybody's safety at this point, when we'd already gone through four days before that, the worst day from from trauma world. We'd been, through, we'd been through a lot before that as well, and you know, even before the sixth of May, um, and we were scared. One of the, you know, my brother confided in me um, about talking about historic child sexual abuse, but he also said that he had uh, shaken our mother by the shoulders. Um, and he demonstrated this on me. It was graphic. Uh, and it was very, very frightening. So the fear factor for the danger everybody was in had been ramped up from there. And you've been programmed all your life to, to protect believe. your mother. Yeah, both of us. Both of you. Yeah. And Tim even said his own words. After he told me everything he told me was, if I was you, I would be doing worse. <clears throat> And this wasn't his fault. So we we didn't know what was going on and why. Obviously, we didn't know anything about this this phone call, and we didn't know why he was getting angrier with us specifically. Um, where these 
text messages come out of the blue through the night, we weren't yeah. greatly concerned. None of this was coming out of the blue, though, because also prior to, as Tim was going into hospital, when he, we were locked out, family members were telling him that we wanted him sectioned, and that we wanted him locked up, and that we were after my mother's money and house and wanted to move in with her. Actually, in the weeks leading up to this, he actually texted me, rang me one day and asked us if we wanted to move in, didn't he? He and did. I was, and I was like, uh, what? <laughs> he did. And um, yeah, I didn't owe your mum had any money, <laughs> apart from anything else. Um, as far as I'm aware, she hasn't. <laughs> Um, uh, unfortunately, or in these situations, people can use, um, use things against you in the most horrible way when you're vulnerable. Um, and, uh, obviously we tried for a baby when we got together, um, but I was older and it's never been the be all and end all to us, is it? We were very happy. Um, and I've never wanted IVF because I didn't want to do that to my body at this age. And and so I'd never wanted IVF, and all of a sudden I was being told that I wanted mother's money for IVF, which was just shocking that anybody was even talking about yeah. my fertility. Um. Also, another thing that 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 Tim had said before he went into hospital was uh, just because you had your mother sectioned. Yeah, so somebody you had led him to him. believe that I had my mother's sections, and that is not true. Um, uh, it is a fact of the matter, actually, is that nobody can have anybody sectioned. No, only a mental health assessment <clears throat> team only have that power. a mental health assessment team. Um, and it is a, it is a, and a strong process. This Timothy a, wasn't. Exactly that. Um and this is a a big process. And yeah, of course, I never had my mother sectioned. I did help my mother out at one point uh, with some rehabilitation, which was at her request. Um, these these lies being told to him, we didn't know at the time, did we? And we didn't know. We didn't know why he was being angered. We didn't know why he was so enraged. And, why he was being triggered. And where it was coming from and where it was triggered. So it was really, really scary. And I'm like, I'm fully happy to hold my hands up to saying that all of a sudden, I was suddenly really, very, very scared for myself because there was a an awful lot of um, attack being sent in my direction and I didn't know why. I was like... Just was, turned up with birthday cake. I turned up with birthday cake and thought... And I knew, I knew you were helping Tim with his therapy. So it was a very, very scary time. Um, however, when we spoke to the police, we asked them to come... Because our main concern, and I know your main concern at all this time was my your, elderly mother. Was your elderly mother who Tim was looking? You know, he was her primary carer. He was the one there day to day. I was second primary carer, and um, and obviously with him being unwell, um, my next major concern is the the health and welfare of my mother. Um, so the whole time that Tim was in hospital, we were we were around. That we were allowed back in the house after that, weren't we? And we popped around and made her food. We were, we and, were and we took. PC. I took her to the doctors and <clears> got the <throat> GP to come and see her. Yeah, and we took PC Dan out of the house. And things seemed to be getting. And we took, but we took the police officer to the house, not to have Tim. Tim wasn't uh, there. So. He's in hospital, yeah. We wanted him to see what was going on because we couldn't make sense of what was going on. It was also unnatural. Exactly. Exactly. And he did uh, He did come to the house. PC we... Dan Gale, which is a name that comes up again later in this in this podcast series, which is probably going to be three episodes, to be fair. Oh, yeah, I think it will be. It's, a, it's a, an ongoing story. What I didn't know then... And what we only found out recently is somebody told Tim that it was me that phoned the hospital. Um, and this is... And said also, what provoked these text messages coming through. That's what triggered it. And this is what triggered it. Now, that anybody could lie to people when they're vulnerable and when they're not well is... The most devastating thing in the circumstances, um, and and I just want to say that 
it's been really, really traumatic knowing that he was led to believe that for me. Um, and yeah, <laughs> it's despicable. And unfortunately, due to that, consent to talk to Mike was taken away while he was in hospital. And so Mike was left in the dark. And um, and as I say, you know, our relationship was so close. He was my father figure and, and he, he saved me and I saved him. So to have our connection broken like that was a really unnatural place to be. Um, for you yeah. both. For us both. <clears throat> Um, <clears throat> I even, uh, so Tim, Tim was in the hospital for a while, came out on the, uh, first or second of June, first yeah. of June, he had a day release day. And, uh, this is where I start where things with the other siblings started to go a bit weird. Um, because they knew that he'd come out and gone to see our mother and, and I was not told and I couldn't work out why. Um, Maybe I'll bring Ross in quickly now, because I know Ross saw him. Yeah, so and Ross was Ross was there, so yeah, we'll bring Ross back in. Bring Ross back in. I'll be back in uh, a minute. At this point, uh, as, as we were saying, me and Sash, um, uh, we were not being given much information, uh, being told that he didn't want to disclose any of the the hospital information with any of his family, which was concerning us as well. Um, and I didn't know what day he was actually being released. Um, all I did know or was told uh, by another family member was that he had been diagnosed uh, with bipolar at this point. Um, and the, I found out at the inquest that the uh, psychiatrist uh, diagnosed him with that the day after he sent me those text messages that I read out. But they didn't record those text messages in the hospital and they didn't, um, you know, take into consideration what was going on the night before he was disclosed uh diagnosed and this is one of the it was one of the failings listed on the serious incident report that they didn't communicate well enough with family members um but so on the first of june he did come out ross and and you were at the uh, mother's house and he came back tell us what happened it wasn't wasn't there the last time you saw him when was that I turned up and he was there. You turned up and he was there. Yeah, I turned up. I was already on my way around there. And then when I got around there and I walked into the kitchen, I, then I noticed that he was there. And I was like, well, I didn't think he was out, but he was there. Um, that was a total shock to you. You just walked in and, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, I know he had, I think, he, I'm pretty sure he had to go back that day because. That's right. It was day release. He gave me. I wasn't told at the time. No. Well, this is the issue, I feel like, to be honest. Hmm. Um, He seemed, he seemed quite happy, to be honest. He seemed like and he seemed like old Tim. When you walked in? When I walked in, he seemed like old Tim. And then, yeah, for a bit. And then he, he, I don't know, he sort of switched, I'd say, personally. You know, he didn't like the fact that I was talking to you. But, you know, at the end of the day, I'm in, I'm in the middle pa of it. He was paranoid and scared, wasn't he? He was paranoid and scared, you know. And, you know, I've... I've you don't have to say exactly what was said, but you know, it was the last time you saw him, wasn't it? And again, he spoke to you out of character in a way that he wouldn't normally speak to any of us. Well, yeah, I think he spoke. He spoke to me in a way that I I was concerned and worried and shocked because that is not the things he said to me is something that I never thought would come out of my brother's mouth, not towards me anyway. Um, so yeah, for him to say that was, and you know, and uh, you know, but you know. You brought it up with her, and it's uh, that was oh, the I last time you saw him, right? That was like, was it? Didn't see him after that. I didn't feel safe. I didn't feel safe enough to go back round there again. And the only way I would have gone back round there again is if you were with me. But I wasn't allowed, was but I? But you weren't allowed. So <laughs> it was what can you do then? So yeah, um, at that point, you know, uh, that was the last time Ross ever got to see his brother. Um. I got to see him one more time after that, but not for a, a conversation. We didn't get to talk. We didn't get to communicate. No, we did. You d desperately wanted to talk to your brother more than anything in the world. I've never That's seen That's all him. I wanted. 
I've never seen anybody want to talk to somebody so much. Um, obviously, just to find out if he's okay and and to be able to help him and that all it was and to find out why he thought the things that he thought and and the what things was that going I were on. told as well and the know. things you were told although and... my brother sent those messages there were other things that we were told that Tim was saying about my wife specifically really graphic horrible things which I now know <laughs> not true and um hear the cat going off <laughs> talking um it was, and you tried to see, and we both. Well, you tried. You went to see mum to see what was going on. And um, at this point, so when he came out, my mother was saying that I couldn't come round to the house anymore. We, you know, we'd been going around there the whole week. He was in hospital. As soon as he came out, it was no, you can't come near the house when Tim's here. That I'd have to phone up and book in a time to come and see my mum. And that he wasn't allowed to talk about his brother. And that I wasn't allowed to talk about Tim. It was just so unnatural, you know, before the last, since I moved out in 2013 with my wife, I was there every couple of, couple of days, popping whatever I want, had the front door key, you know, it wasn't, I didn't have to ring her and tell her when I was coming. Um, and yeah, and the last time you saw saw him was in the road, uh, in, in outside your mum's house. He just bought an Audi TT when he came out of hospital. Yeah, in cash. In cash. And... Um, and he was And this is looking... relevant for later, the fact that he was spending so much money. <laughs> and he wasn't looking great. Um I might try to talk to him, but he carried on driving down the road and um unfortunately we were then prevented uh, by other family members from talking that, to him. Was prevented from entering the family home. Um Yeah, and the next And that's um, the last time you saw That's the last time, last time I saw him. I saw him. Um the next thing was a family meeting, wasn't it? That's uh, the next significant event. So while you were doing as you're told and uh, not allowed to Not contact, allowed to come round, but allowed to phone. But not, yeah. So you weren't allowed to contact him, so you didn't. Um, and Wasn't allowed to just turn up, so I didn't. And then your mum, uh, you had already taken her to the doctors before um, about her heart. And then there was a heart appointment, a hospital appointment. Worthing Hospital, yeah. And you wanted to talk to your siblings and to see if you could drive your mum to hospital. That's right. Um, unfortunately, this, this date was 25th of July 2020. It's a day I'll remember all my life. I'm not going to talk about that in this podcast about what actually happened, but I'm going to talk about that in my own podcast uh, if you would like to read my full and true account, it is on the iStream Radio website. Um, this was the most violent day of my life, and I accompanied Mike to to a meeting. And unfortunately, at With the end siblings. of the meeting... Um, Other siblings. It, Tim wasn't involved. Tim was not there. And yeah, do you can read my account. Unfortunately, um, at the end of this meeting, when I tried to leave the house... I was ABH assaulted by a man I don't really, really know, but this is a family married into the family member. Um, it was a horrific assault. Since that point, the perpetrators uh, has denied it happened and... Uh, the police have failed to act. And unfortunately, a long, a long story short is uh, the police, police failed to act. The account is of that on, my, on the radio website. Um, but unfortunately, this um, had now escalated into serious physical assault, um, which we was already, unprovoked. We were already in a state of fear. Um, we were already in a hyper, hyper state of fear as to everything that was unnatural and going on. Um, and so I went to the place and the unfortunately, because... We were then told to stay away for our own protection. And we did that. We were then even more removed from being able to, to, to do anything or speak to anybody. Or um, support or help and do all the natural things that we wanted to do. Yeah. Communicate. You know, in, in any mental health situation, it needs to be pointed out right here. You know, I know this is a bit of a complicated story for, for people to hear, um, but isolation and stopping people talking is not the answer. 
it's it's the most damaging thing and i would say to anybody out there you know a lot of people are struggling with their mental health a lot of things go on in our lives where we've got to kind of work out how to get make our mind tick and why we're not happy and and why things aren't feeling so good for us. And we all deal with that. Everybody has their mind. Everybody has their own mental health. Everybody has their mental health. Everybody has their own mental health to deal with. It's no secret that the most important thing is to talk and to talk openly. Be careful who you trust. I will always say that from an I think it's a really important point. As and how to, you do it as well. How you do it and who with is really, really important. Be careful that you can trust these people. But I would also like to say to everybody, if there's something wrong with your mind, you haven't got a disease. And it is something that is is not just your problem. Um, Whoever you're with, the environment you grew up in, the things that you've dealt with in your life, uh, you've you've created, every, we all do, we all create uh, coping strategies to deal with these things in our life. Um, and anybody that just goes, you're crazy, you've got a problem, just go over there. There's something wrong with you. Take your diagnosis and, and go and sit in your house on your own and, and take those meds and you'll be all right. You're not going to be all right. Um, loneliness is... Loneliness and isolation on all kinds of different levels is the most difficult thing to deal with um, and then be able to get through it and be able to be okay with yourself and with your mind. We all need support. We all need love. We all need care. We all need people around us. Nobody needs to be on their own. No, no, no one. But we were isolated. But we were. And as much as we knew lots of things about how this was wrong, we weren't able to do anything about no, it. No, we stayed away. Um, you know, I even didn't ring for a, a while. Um, and I then received a text message on the 12th of September. And this is the only the second message after that meeting. There was one kind of wishy-washy message, but then this message from a family member and we'd been, you know, we'd stayed away at this point, and it just said, uh, well, the long and short of what it said was that due to my behaviour, uh, so that Tim had moved back in with Mum. Tim had moved back in first and foremost. Yeah, that's right. To let you know that Jews, yeah, Tim's moving back in with Mum because when he originally came out of hospital, he went into his own flat. Uh, there was safeguarding concerns raised by the hospital, which we have a record of in the email. Um, and uh, and actually it's recorded in his doctor's notes that when he was living in that place and he spoke to his mental health community support officer that he was feeling a bit better. A bit um, of independence. He had a bit of independence. He was actually thinking about maybe travelling again or doing other things. And then in another breath he'd be saying, I've got to stay at home and be my mother's carer. So in this text message, uh, it said that uh, just to let you know, uh, due to Tim being um, down again, as can happen with people with bipolar, uh, the, the family thought it would be best that he moved back in with mum and that they have their support. Um, but also that mother would like me to let you know that you are now cut out of the family will uh, due to your behaviour and not supporting your brother since he came out of hospital. We'd like to think that we could talk again soon, but it's up to you. Kiss, kiss. I expect gaslighting there. So, obviously you're dealing with a hell of a lot now. You're not only not able to talk to your brother, you're not able to support anybody, you're not able to know what's going on with your mother, and you've been uh, most definitely cut out. Yeah. Uh, scapegoated on a grand scale. <clears throat> So what do you do when that happens? Um, you have to pick up, you have to, you have to carry on. You have to keep trying. Yeah. You have to carry on. Um, we were going through a lot of other stuff, you know, obviously COVID's going off at this time. Uh, being a DJ, I'd lost all my work overnight, but that was, you know, in the back of my mind because of all this 
happening everything going on um i wasn't concerned about that but at this point you're starting to think wow i haven't worked for so long we don't know what's going on we've been through so much um and uh we managed to get away didn't we and go away to we did we booked a a week to corfu managed to get out there we managed to get out there for a break um but it was really strange actually because when we got there it's a we got an all-inclusive deal and i love my food and i'm like yes it's gonna be great got there and i had a, a constant sick feeling in my solar plexus. Um, can't describe it. It's just like a constant there, sicky feeling. And it was putting me off my food, which was really annoying me uh, at the beginning of the holiday and all the way through it. But on the last night before we came back, um, I had what I can only describe as what is a dark night of the soul. Um, it's not a nightmare. It was like half, you're half conscious, you're half awake, you're half asleep. But I was in a state of panic and anxiety and this feeling in my chest was getting stronger and stronger and I was shaking and I was whimpering. Um, and I remember my wife holding me in her arms and comforting me. And, uh, and when I did talk, I said at the time, uh, I feel like I'm never going to get to see my mum again. And it was, uh, it was really yeah, overwhelming feeling that came in. Um, but I got through it. And uh, and uh, it was the last night of the holiday, wasn't it? We came back. It was. It was <clears throat> the the pain and suffering are, that we've you, been put through. You to never want to. You never want to see anybody you love in that much trauma and in that much frustration. And 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 you know when your body starts to to rack, that's all I can describe. I was being it as. cut off from everything that I'd ever <laughs> known in life before. <laughs> Um, At a fundamental level. Mike's an incredibly intuitive person. I've always known that um, since he's come along. And uh, he feels deeply. He's got a big heart. And he, um, and he feels very, very deeply. Um, and the life you've been on has opened you up. And, and all kinds of things have opened you up. Um, and being a DJ <clears throat> uh, is a... Um, it, it does do that. I've looked after many DJs and it does do that. Um, and it's it's just, he felt, he knew everything was really, 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 really bad. All right, yeah. Um, and I, felt, I felt lost. I felt like I didn't know what to do. And, and so... But we made a start. decision when we came back, didn't we? We made we a decision, yeah. I made a decision that it was all getting too much. It was wrong. And and I sat there and I thought, what can I do? I'll go and talk to the eldest member of the family, male member of the family. Yeah. And uh, and say how exactly how I felt, the dangerous situation that, that Tim and her mother were in because the last time they were alone together, he when he became unwell, dangerous things happened. They and did. that's the last thing I wanted. So uh, we we went and knocked on his door. We did, and um and and Mike expressed uh, his concern. That wasn't uh, shared, um, and it was a a a fairly short and a um abrupt non sweet meeting. Um, and that was that was in the middle of October. The last thing I said was that I held him 100% responsible for the dangerous situation that my mother and my brother were being left in and I feared that something bad, that something would bad was going to happen if we didn't sort it out. So we came home. Um, Mike had, well, the police had been to trying to get the family to mediate. Um, and Mike I've been had specifically asking, most importantly, two weeks before Tim passed, please sort out mediation for me and Tim. And so that he could just talk to his brother. I hadn't with, spoken to him this point. With a third party. Since June. With a well, third not even party. Probably since May. To make sure that everybody was safe. And unfortunately, um, that never happened. That never happened. Um, on the Friday the 30th of October. 2020. 2020. I woke up at about 7 o'clock in the morning. 
Now, as you know, as we all do, life goes on. We're getting on with our life. Woke up about half past seven in the morning. And I had the most intense pain in my right arm. Um, I suffer with a, a condition called polyarthritis. And um, after the assault, my right arm, where I had been held, was was the most painful. But it had subsided before that. Anyway, I woke up and it was such an intense pain that I jumped out of bed, laid on the floor and was laying in the on the floor with my arm in the air going, ah, like that. And then I sat bolt upright and as I sat upright, I can see my front door <coughs> and there's three peacocks standing in a front line at my door. Now, it sounds really, really strange, but we, we have... We have the Henfield Peacocks. They're a thing. They're you can thing go Google them. Video. They're famous. The Henfield Peacocks are uh, famous. So you always feel very honoured when the Peacocks come to, our, come, come to the street, let alone our door, let alone lining up at our door. Three of them, yeah. So all of a sudden, the pain when I saw the Peacocks just kind of evaporated really strangely. And... And and then I was like, Mike, Mike, it's the peacocks. And we took pictures and put them on Facebook, as you do. Um, and then we had our morning coffee and Mike well, told me about his dream. That's right, yeah. Yeah, I, I woke up in the morning and uh, that's uh, what happened. And But the dream was um, that came back to me uh, really clearly, really vividly was... Uh, I was sat at my mum's kitchen table and there's a side door in the kitchen and I was just sat there talking to my mum. Tim walked in the door and when I first saw him, I stood up and I was angry because I was being told he was the reason I couldn't come home and see my mum. And I stood up and I was angry at him. But he turned around to me, got on his knees and said, Sorry, Mikey, please forgive me. And I picked him up and held him in my arms. He said, of course I do, bro. Love you. And uh, and we hugged. And it was such a, it was a really powerful, vivid experience. Yeah. And, you know, all this happened in the morning. And then I told my wife that. And, uh, <clears throat> and then, and I was like, well, well, that's a good sign, you know. And, and then we got on with our day, Friday morning. And then we sat down to lunch. And... They call me spiritual, Sasha. <laughs> but as we sat down to lunch, I said to Mike, and I kid you not, and this is a, a absolute God's honest truth, that hand on heart, hope to die, this is not something we've just made up for the podcast, or everything we say is this our authentic truth. I sat down at the, um, sat down at the table, and I said, I know this sounds really weird, Mike. I feel like your dad's sitting at the table with us. Now, I never met. Mike's dad, he died a long time, long, long time before. 1994, a long time before I came along. But all I can describe it as was a feeling of uh, support and uh, a, a comforting feeling. And it really just felt like he was comforting us and he was here and saying that he was here and comforting us and and be and we were just needed to be strong. It's all like it's very, very strange looking back at what not happened next. I, it's yeah. not something I say every day when I'm sitting at the table as like um I, I I'm not quite at that level of clairvoyance or anything no. yet. No, yeah, you were you know, you were kind of like I was just kind of but it did, it felt reassuring, um, it felt comforting and everything. So we finished our pasta. We did. And you <laughs> went back to go in your office to have a meeting with someone. Talk I about went to web have a meeting with Justin Pywell um, about our new iStream Radio website. And uh, I, early afternoon. I was sitting at the desk in conversation on this is WhatsApp and video. And I was, I was tidying up in the kitchen after lunch. When there was a knock on the door. And, uh, yeah. uh, and you answered it. And I answered the door and it was PC Dan Gale, which is the PC that we asked to go around to my mum's house uh, six back months before. six months prior. And as soon as I saw him, 
I knew something really bad must have happened. Uh, and he proceeded to tell me that my brother had been uh, pronounced dead. Uh, been found in the sea, in the breakwater, on Shoreham Beach, just by Widewater. Not far from my mother's house where he was living. Almost directly on the beach behind another one of my family members' houses. And the shock that came over me is like the coldest. <sighs> coldest shock I've ever had in my life. I've dealt with grief, but it was uh, it was something else. And then obviously, you know, I'd been prevented from seeing him and my mother for a few months at this point. So I'm worried about her also. So I uh, I asked the officer if he would please come with me to to break the news to my mum. I didn't want to do it alone. I'd not seen her for a while and I didn't know how she was going to react. So he agreed to come over with us. And uh, I remember that drive. I remember... It was a, the storm was coming in and it was literally, you know, it's the night before Halloween. It couldn't... Getting dark, windy, it, rainy... Mike was in complete shock. I drove him. I drove him to um, I drove. I followed the police car and uh, drove him to his mother's. Um, uh, when we pulled up, we got out with Dan, the police officer, and um, walked up the driveway. We could hear Tim's dog barking, and all the lights were off. And it was about half past four in the afternoon. Um. Yeah, I knocked. I knocked on the door, and my mother came to the door and opened it ajar, and looked at me and said, "You can't come in. He'll be home in a minute." And I had the, my wife and a policeman standing behind me. And I said, "Mum, no." I said, "You got to let me in. Uh, got to talk to you." And she said, "No, you know, rather you can't come in." And I didn't want to frighten her. I didn't want to. So I just said, okay, I'm going to let the policeman come in and talk to you, Mum. I'm going to sit outside. And we went and waited in the car. And the policeman went in. And about five minutes later, ten maybe, my other family member, two of them, turned up, went in the house. One of them came out, paced up and down on their mobile phone for a bit, went back in the house. Don't think he knew we were sat there watching him. And uh, and then next thing, PC Dan Gale came out and said, I've told you, Mum, they might call a doctor. She's asked me to tell you to, uh, to go. She'll call you in a couple of days. A call that never came. And uh, we didn't. And the police didn't contact us either. They, after that day, we went back home and the police never contacted us. And I think this is the best place for us to break right now. Um, and and to note that, um, that everything that happened is everything that we didn't want to happen. And everything that's happened since is everything that we didn't want to happen either as well. No, and it can be stopped. Um, and families are families. Everybody has difficult things. This isn't about blame. This isn't about shame. This isn't about any of those things. This is about truth. And there's only one time that that you can do this and it's I know it's so important for for you it's important for everybody for who everybody. really loved Tim to Tim. know the truth because that's what he would want you to know he'd want you to know the truth because truth is everything it's yeah. everything for everybody's mental health I know I know Tim was such a carer for Many, many, many people like like you are. 
He was a father figure to many of those boys. A house parent, um, somebody that's helping so many vulnerable people. A father figure. He would not want anyone to suffer in the face of his death. And we don't. And especially not his brother that he loves very much. And and any lots of people are dealing with grief and right here, right now in this day and age. And that's a sad, 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 sorry state of affairs, but it is part of life. And obviously anybody's life cut short, untimely, it's it's hard the hardest to deal with, but we all get born and we all are gonna die. And it's something that when we lose people and when um, crisis is hit, there can be nothing more important than coming together. There can be nothing more than important than open communication. And, and celebrating those and people's I, lives. Yeah. Not just go, oh, they're gone. Or let's not yeah. talk about that oh, now. Oh, I can't and, believe that what happened. He was such a nice guy. And it's not that we And that's it. And it's not that you oh, sorry to interrupt. But it's not that you're sitting here talking. And, oh, I want to go over it. It's it is about how important it is to talk about these things. I know when you both lost your dad, it was never spoken about. It was never discussed. It was never talked about. And it's only been in recent years that you've been able to, you know, in these to recent times, that, yeah. been able to talk about yeah, the loss we'll of your dad. Yeah. Um, and you've lost your brother. And nothing's going to change that. And nothing, you know, we we can all we can all look back with hindsight. It's a beautiful, great thing, but it it never changes anything. Um, the most important thing, and I know for you and for Tim, is that your brothers are okay, and all brothers are okay, and your sisters are okay, and and everybody's looked after, and everybody's supported, and yeah. that they know that they can ring you whenever they want. And and that people can reach out and like we are all we are one, like he said in his letter. We are one. Yeah, and together we're an unstoppable force is his word. And together we are an unstoppable force. And I think that's a great place to leave it. Yeah. Well done. Thank you. Love Thank you. Thank you everybody. <laughs> <laughs>